Penn State football heading into the Big Ten schedule proper. It is fall outside a beautiful Monday, and I am wearing my second loudest shirt, so everything is good. I'm your host, Thomas Frankar. This is the BWI Live crew. Welcome to our Monday recap show. We are taking a look at Penn State Villanova, and we are going to then preview Penn State Indiana coming up 7.30 at Beaver Stadium. I'm with the guys Dave Eckert and Nate Bauer above me. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we doing today on Monday? Dave, what's going on? Not much. I'm excited for another another BWI Live show. I'm sure it's going to be fun. Uh, and we, of course, have Nate Bauer, our senior editor. Nate, what insights, wisdom, and nuggets are you pulling up for us today? Um, you know what? We'll just have to wait and see, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the beauty of this. And we want people to watch. So, yeah, they're coming for sure. Just wait until hour two. <laughs> oh, boy. If we're talking for... Luckily, we're talking about Indiana. If we're talking about Villanova for an hour, uh, I think I'm out. I don't know if I can handle another hour of Villanova. If you do have any questions, no. though... <laughs> if you You're have supposed any... to be the football guy. Come on. Oh, this is the thing. I spent all weekend on Villanova. I spent a lot of time on Villanova. That was my entire day yesterday and the day before. That's enough FCS football for me. I'm I'm good. And they, they were a good football team. We'll get into that here in just a little bit as far as uh, our key takeaways from the game. I'll give you mine in a bit, but I want to start with both of you. Um, Nate, what was your key takeaway or what was your overall impression of the game? I always want to start with kind of our, our initial thoughts or our broad thoughts about every game so far. Penn State wins 38-17. to 17. What were your thoughts about the game on Saturday? Yeah, I, I would just say that the my impressions after the post-game interviews that I, I shared um, with, with Greg Pickle have only deepened um, in the time since in that, uh, you know, it was, it was this perfect setup of being angry, right? Like uh, Penn State fans, Penn State players, Penn State coaches. Um, it was a no risk trap game. And so it didn't matter really what they did, how the performance went. Um, anything short of a 70 to nothing win would have created these avenues and opportunities for them to be ticked off. And, you right. know, and I think that's exactly what it was, right? Like they just, no, could, could they have lost maybe? Right. I mean, that was kind of James Franklin's mantra all week was that right. there were these FCF teams that had beaten uh division one team or, you know, F F B I don't, I, I FBS. hate that thing. Anyway, yeah. the football FBS, bowl series was... versus the championship yeah, yeah. series, which is quickly disappearing anyway, seeing as they have a championship series and the bowls are kind of meh, but yeah, yeah. A division two team. A Division II team, um, you know, yeah, so they were on the lookout for that. But realistically, was there any shot that Villanova had at winning that game? No. And not only that, but Penn State scoring on their very first offensive play of the game really cemented that, right? Like Penn right. State came out of the gates and did exactly what it wanted to do, did whatever it wanted to do, um, particularly defensively, right? Like all the focus in the aftermath is going to be on the offense. I understand that. And that's what generally we're always talking about. But there was never a point where Villanova was going to have sustained success against Penn State's defense. And yeah. so because of that, 
it opened it opened the door for for Penn State to um, you know to to kind of test some things out and, and basically have a fairly bland game plan, um, get their backups some reps, but on the flip side of all of that also come out of it feeling as though there were these massive areas of deficiencies that needed to be improved uh, between this week and next week. I'm, I'm just not sure it's quite to that level. Uh, Dave, what were your initial thoughts after the game and what have you been ruminating on since then? Yeah, I guess my big takeaway and really what I was thinking about during the game was Penn State's wide receivers were just better than anything Villanova could muster from a defensive back standpoint to to a concerning degree like they just had no chance it wasn't fair Nate kind of already pointed to that uh to that touchdown on the first play of the game where that poor Villanova corner is in single coverage with Jahan Dotson and just gets absolutely toasted um yeah it was that's just kind of what I was thinking about Penn State's wide receivers I don't are, are are good and they're fun too which you know from from my perspective is important because I don't want to watch a boring football team um, but yeah, I, that's kind of what I was thinking about the whole time really is yeah. like, this isn't, this isn't fair. This is mean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is mean. You know what? That my, my takeaways, my impressions are kind of similar to yours, but I look at it in a different perspective. I want to thank Villanova truthfully for playing an aggressive game plan. They played football. On Saturday, they were going to live and die playing straight up the way that they always do. Ball State came into the game and made it so boring. They made that game so boring by playing four high and being good against the run enough that they could frustrate teams at times and sometimes stalling some drives. Villanova, as you just pointed out, left their corner one on one with one of the most dangerous deep threats in the Big Ten. John Dotson is still accelerating at this point. Like, I, I enjoyed. <laughs> watching that game much more because things happened on both sides of the football where Villanova, they took some shots too. And because of that, they threw some interceptions and there were some big moments where everyone goes, Oh wow, look at that. So things happened in this game and Villanova, I think deserves credit for coming out and, you know, you know, saying it with their chest. They came out and they were like, we're playing Penn State. We're not going to back down. We are going to live and die as we will on every other game. And I thought that was that was uh, commendable on their part, that they died gloriously. This is a little too far, but, you know, I thought they played a good... I thought they played a good style of football that wasn't, uh, you know, what you would put in the textbook for how to get people to turn off a football game. So that was that was really what I enjoyed about the game was that I had something to talk about afterwards. And of course, we always have things to talk about and we always have your questions to answer. If you want to throw your your question in the chat, we can get to it here during the show. We'll be answering them as we go throughout the BWI live show here on Monday afternoon. And if you want to ask us a super chat question, all you have to do is uh, enter whatever you think the your question is worth. We think your question is priceless, but if you want to donate to the channel, you can absolutely do that and uh, we'll get to your question. I'll get it in a special box. We'll throw it up here on the screen. So we got a couple chat questions in there we'll be getting throughout the day. Uh, but I want to talk about where we always start. We always start with Nate. We always start with Sean Clifford. This time... In this game, I think it's warranted that we start with Sean Clifford because he was, to me, the story of this game. Now, I texted you after some of the stuff came out on Sunday, uh, and I, I tweeted something out. Sean Clifford had an elite PFF grade, and you texted me, and you said what? Yeah, I, after after 
what, six months of me pounding the drum that he had been undervalued and over-criticized. Uh, I texted you to say that he was given too high of a grade for, <laughs> for, for Saturday. For Saturday. Yeah. Uh, I I thought I thought he was I thought he was fine. I, I thought he was good. Was he elite Saturday? I I did not feel that way. Um, I, I just you know look like yes, I'm bringing opponent into it for sure. I'm bringing the stakes into it for sure. Right. But I just thought that the the totality of his performance against Auburn again in that situation um, was was not just better, but like markedly better. I, I just, I thought he had an overall better game against Auburn than he did against Villanova. And uh, this is why you're the expert and I'm just the guy who's picking up bits and pieces of what I'm seeing. And you asked me why I thought that the grade was too high for him. The grade was too high because I saw an open check down uh, on his deep shot to Cam Sullivan Brown and a TV camera panning to him being yelled at considerably <laughs> by Mike Yersich on yeah. the Penn State sideline and him saying like, yeah, no, you're right. Like, yeah. I probably shouldn't have done that. So th there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things that go into this. And, and for those of you who are joining us and, and maybe you don't know this, I also work for PFF. So I have a couple of behind the scenes sort of, I know how the, the sausage is made essentially. Uh, and I think that, that you make some fair points um, about Sean Clifford and his grade. Now, I d delved into why and some of the details in my film study that's up right now at Blue White Illustrated. And if you want to check that out and you're not a member, bwi.ravels.com backslash subscribe, and you can get that premium content, that good stuff. We'll be getting uh, into a little of that here. But first, I, Dave, I want to know from your perspective, given what um, what Nate just said, can you glean anything from that game with Sean Clifford? Do you take a lot of that away from what Clifford did on Saturday? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm on an island! No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and here, here's why. It goes back to the wide receivers, right? I, I, Penn State's wide receivers got whatever they want. They were open all game. You know, a, a significant portion of... Clifford's yardage totals, which I think ended up being near 400. I, I don't have it in front of me. Um, came from yards after the catch. And I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say he didn't make good throws. He did. That Dotson throw was really good. Um, there was another throw to Parker Washington on the sideline that I thought was really good. But look, it's it's an FCS defense, guys. And and, and I. But again, I looking at it from a similar perspective to the way Nate approached it is I don't I don't know that I need to glean anything from this game if I'm talking about Sean Clifford. Um, I thought his performance against Auburn was excellent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I learned a lot from that game. And uh, I guess I just didn't really go into this game thinking I needed to learn that much about him, if that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, definitely not drawing conclusions here. Okay, so I will I'll give you just a little bit of what's in the article today. But for the most part, you guys are correct in, in the sense that the performance against Auburn and the performance against uh, Villanova are are essentially the same, 
except for one big difference, and that is that, that Sean Clifford attempted and made more deep passes. So he was generating more offense. And to your point of what you just said, uh, Dave, uh, that, that ball to Dotson, and this is my biggest takeaway, is the ball to Dotson wasn't a, a wide-open thing. Like, Dotson got two steps yep. on the guy. But it was on the money, and he had several plays where he was either under pressure or he was uh, throwing on the run. A couple of different situations, a couple of different scenarios against the blitz, um, you know, against eight-man pressure or, or eight in coverage. And every single time, he delivered. And it's it's just more evidence, more of this backing up of consistent game-to-game -game production from Sean Clifford. So for me... To see him put it all together and not miss any deep throws, and I'm even including the the pass interference call that was on the money. That was another really good throw down the sideline. So seeing all of that and seeing him put it all together to me is a step forward, but it is of the same performance from uh, the game against Auburn. It's just he didn't attempt any of those game changing plays. Sean Clifford was the reason they won this game, and and you do make a good point that the receivers were open. But we've seen in the past where he hasn't hit them. So that, to me, is the difference. Uh, we have a question here from David. Of course, Dave, thanks so much for the donation to the channel. If you want to be like Dave, just throw uh, a super chat question in there. We'll get to it during the show. We're going to get to um, Indiana here at the end, but he asks a great question. Michael Penix, miracle season last year. But it, uh, is it coming back down to reality? How tough of a day do you expect against Penn State to give him? And how many turnovers do you think Penn State can or will force against Michael Penix? Uh, Nate, I will allow you to have the floor on this one because I know you have some thoughts. Yeah, I didn't think he had a great game last year. I mean, I think that that's kind of where I come out on this is uh, he made uh, a very debatable but impressive play to to kind of finish the game yeah uh, again I, I don't have I don't have uh the stats from last year up in front of me at this exact moment but I thought that and have continued to think that and this is it, again like it always comes back to Sean Clifford but I, I thought Sean Clifford outplayed Michael Penix in every respect in that game last year not not talking about Ohio State or Maryland Nebraska or Iowa, those that was a different story. But in that specific game, Penn State against Indiana, Penn State played the better game all around for the duration of the game. Uh, absent really three plays, three or four plays um, that were, you know, and listen, like that's, that's how you lose a football game is you give the ball away. But it, it still kind of remains ingrained in my head that – Michael Penix was not, you know, uh, otherworldly in, in that performance. And, and you know, credit where it's due, right? Like, Indiana played well through the remainder of the season after that game. But there are just so many things that happened last year that are now kind of reverting to the mean and reverting to the norm uh, that kind of demonstrate, like, oh, yeah, it was a weird year for everyone and out of the norm for everyone, including teams that were not successful, the Michigan and the Penn States of the world in the Big Ten, the Wisconsins of the world in the Big Ten, uh, but also the teams that had a ton of success last year. 
right, that are, have been unable to sustain it this year. So that's kind of uh, reading the question again. How tough of a day do I expect Penn State to give him? Tough. Yeah. Pretty tough. And, and, yeah, and the, like, I think it's going to go well. The, the Penn State secondary is significantly different than last year uh, on so totally. many different levels. So to answer your question about the day that Michael Penix had, this is his stat line from last year during the Penn State game. He uh, was 19 to 36, touchdown and a pick, uh, and his yards per attempt under five. 4.7. So that is the day that he had nothing special, nothing miraculous, but what he did last year that he's not doing this year is he avoided turning the ball over other than that one play. Dave, is that where he's taken the biggest step back so far this year? Definitely. Definitely. If you look at, you know, they've, they've played two pretty good defenses so far, um, Cincinnati and, and Iowa, and I think he has six turnovers combined. It might be five. I looked it up this morning. I, I don't remember exactly, but it, he's been abysmal in those games. Just not good at all. Um, <laughs> and then he's got, I, I looked it up on PFF this morning. He's got eight turnover plays already through turnover worthy plays already through four games, according to PFF and Sean Clifford, you know, for comparison has zero. Um, and the other aspect is, is when you see a change like that, you know, you kind of look at, try to look for some of the underlying reasons for it. He's actually getting more time to throw this year than he yeah. was last year. Yeah. His offensive line is protecting him better. So, or he's just taking yeah, more time. So that's the correct. other part is he's just taking more time. Yeah. That to me is like last year, his time to throw and his ability to get the ball quickly. That was part of it. I think that there is, they've, they've lost some playmakers and he's trying to do too much right now. So it, kind of a mirror image of what happened to Sean Clifford last year, right, is now uh, the adversity in and Michael Penix in that, uh, I think, special season, the way that Dave put it, is a, is, a great, is a great way to put it. It was a special season for them, and it was something that I think, if you're an Indiana fan, you hope that was the start of something special. But just so that if you haven't seen so far this season, Indiana is 2-2, two and two, their wins are over Idaho and Western Kentucky, and uh, they lost to Cincinnati, and they lost to Iowa pretty badly to start the season. So that's where they are right now. They are 2-2 two and two heading into this game. Penn State, obviously, 4-0. We got another question here from James. Awesome. Thank you, James, for the question. How, uh, with, how Franklin said the team said they were starting to get a little full of themselves, how do you bring a team like that back to earth? Nate, this is something that you and I talked about post practice on Wednesday. It's kind of like we're kind of like we're good at this. Uh, what what are your thoughts about how you you make those corrections and how James Franklin is dealing with kind of the lack of enthusiasm of playing Villanova last week? I I am I'm sorry, but I'm calling shenanigans. I, I am calling. Uh, some head tricks and some mind games. I, I get it, right? Like he, he uh, Franklin said in the post game that he ripped the team on what Wednesday because they were having a bad practice. They they didn't have a. It was either Tuesday or Wednesday of this past week that yeah. they didn't have a good practice. Uh, and then he felt after the game that they still didn't have the edge that they needed. Um, you know, and so that was kind of this big point of emphasis was how to how to how to bring that back how to get that edge back um i'm unconvinced that they lost it i i, I very much see this program as being 
like fully immersed in the humiliation of what last year represented to them. Uh, it, it was so humbling on so many levels that this year is is nothing if it's not a scorched earth a- approach, right? Like there there will never be anything that they do that is good enough uh, internally. And I'm not just saying like to James Franklin, I'm saying among themselves, they see this as, yes, there are avenues that they will always have to improve on and they are determined to get there. Um, and, and you hear it in the way that they talk about the things that they need to do, right? And 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 the absence of what that meant for last year, defensively, specifically, it, it always strikes me when they say it. They talk about uh, needing to be accountable to the defense and playing within the defense, right? Like that is over and over and over again is what they are talking about this season. Why? Guess why? Why? They weren't last year. Okay. They weren't last year. <laughs> they weren't last year. And that was like, that was the whole thing was, oh, they, you know, they just had individuals at certain times try to do something outside of the framework of the defense. And it ended up biting them in the butts hard. Right. And so like they have been, they have been taken down so significantly over that time, right? Like the, the humility of, of what last year represented to them that now I I don't see like the notion that they were reading press clippings and got so full of themselves that they decided to take the week off against Villanova. I did not see it that way. So hold on, hold on, hold on. I I need to ask you a follow-up question to James's follow-up question here. Do you know, do either of you know what James Franklin's middle name is? I don't offhand. Do either of you know? All I'm saying is James S. asks that question. And you're saying that James Franklin is playing mind tricks with his team. Are you saying that James Franklin asked this question? That's my real question here. Is that James S., the James S. Franklin, who still is doubling down on the mind games with this team with the BWI live show. That is the investigative reporting that I'm going to need to get back from you guys before next week, okay? I'm on it. <laughs> I'm on it. I, I'm on to something. I'm, I'm on to something. I'm on to my conspiracy theories. Uh, I, but I do have, I do have a, a very short interjection uh, sure. about his name that has always fascinated me. Uh, he said that uh, this was years ago. Uh, I was with Mike Porman, uh, who you guys know well, and we were. It was just two of us at a coach's caravan stop in Baltimore, literally. So you know, it doesn't matter. There's a backstory to it. But he asked why. Why does he only go by James? And he said that his mom w- would be furious uh, if anyone ever called him Jamie. And his dad's name was Jim. So he had to be James. And so <laughs> that is the only version of his name that anyone will ever see. There's some knowledge for you. Some James Franklin trivia right there. No Jamie. Do not ever call him Jamie. That's that's so funny. That is literally the same story with my name. My mom yelled at one of my teachers uh, because they called me Tom in front of her at a parent-teacher conference day. And she's like, I named him Thomas Frank for a reason. Uh, you better yeah. call him Thomas Frank. And my dad's name was Tom. So I was never going to be Tom. 
So yeah, James Franklin and I have that in common. No one cares. Dave, I want to ask you our, about our just plummeting. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about the running game because that's what everyone's here to be angry about this week is the running game did not get going <laughs> against um, against Villanova. Is this, despite not being able to run the ball in the first half, Mike Yurcich has stuck with the running game against Wisconsin and against uh, Auburn and against Villanova, at least in the first half before he, he, he hits bleep it at some point. Do you think that's a wise strategy and do you think that will pay off eventually? Well, just for the record, T. Frank, Dave, David, David, doesn't matter, whatever you want over here. <laughs> the most flexible um, man on the show. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I guess on this question, I'm not ready to criticize him for sticking with the run game because they're winning games. And I know that's a simplistic approach, right? Like, it's so easy to just say they're winning, so it doesn't matter, blah, 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 blah. It might feel lazy. But at the same time, I mean, we don't have all the information here, right? Like, we don't know okay, did he use this run to set up this big passing play? Did, you know, this run in the second quarter give a look to the defense that made it, you know, possible for this play to happen in the fourth quarter? We don't know. So I I guess my inclination is to kind of just brush off this question because I don't, it's hard for me to criticize when they're winning games and I don't feel like I have the requisite information to be able to say what the running game is actually doing for them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's a fine approach. Are you, so this might be a redundant question, but are you concerned? Do you have concerns about the situation in the running game? If you aren't concerned because they're winning games and they're scoring points and moving the football, does it concern you the way it concerns, uh, maybe night Raven in our chat or some of the guys who've already asked questions about the run game so far and the millions of Penn State fans that have tweeted at me about how unhappy they are with the run game. This is something that the Penn State fan base specifically is very upset about. Are you concerned for uh, for them and for the uh, for the team? I am a little bit concerned. I guess. I think there's a little bit of a difference between being fine with them continuing to try and being concerned about the results, you know? Um, okay, and yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm concerned about the results. Definitely. Nate, um, you know, it, go ahead. So, sorry. Sorry. I was just, I thought you were done there. I uh, didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm going to cut you off. Nate, what, uh, what are your thoughts on the situation? Especially seeing as Noah Kane got exactly one carry. Uh, and we were told after the game by James Franklin, he's a bit nicked up coming into this game. He's been their lead back and he's been their most consistent player. Can they get something going if he is going to be injured again for the third year in a row? Yeah, no, look, like I have a recollection and you guys can maybe back me up or maybe not on this, but I have a recollection of Saquon Barkley having a limited yards per carry average at times, right? Like, so he would break off these, huge runs, but it was kind of feast or famine for him uh, at times during the 16 and 17 seasons. Sure. And we were talking about the exact, we were talking about the exact same thing. We were saying, well, why can't Penn state get the ground game going? Why can't Penn state get the ground game going? And my answer is, was then and is now because teams want Trace McSorley and or Sean Clifford to be the one that has to beat them. They don't want to get beaten by Noah Kane, uh, Lee, right? John Lovett, what have you. They, they, it's just, 
it's an approach that these defenses have, have taken. And, and I know that that you pointed out that uh, it wasn't always a heavy box, right? Like that that Villanova didn't do that um, defensively for the entirety of the game. But I, I thought that it was evident going into the game. Uh, Villanova had allowed 29 yards per game in the first three games on the right. ground, right? Like that means that you are focused and proficient at doing that. And I don't really care what the level is uh, of that taking place. If you have a strength as a team, uh, you're going to be able to have some success in those areas. And the fact that Penn State was absent, it's starting running back in this one, I, I think adds to that. Um, you know, and so <laughs> it's it's curious to me how the conversation always shifts from year to year where yes, because the expectation is that the running game at, at Penn state would be strong this year. That was like the preseason was like, Oh, well they don't have anything to worry about on the ground. They, right. They got, a, right. they got five running backs that can all play offensive line is going to be better. It's it's Sean Clifford. And the fact that they don't have a third receiver that everyone needs to worry about. That's, that's the big thing. Well, if that's true, if those were the, the things that set up this season, then it would make sense that those that, that would be defense's perceptions early in this season as well. And so it would take Sean Clifford breaking that spell yeah. and those receivers breaking that spell to, to be able to get out of it. And I think that's what you're seeing is teams moving forward are not going to I'm not going to say disrespect, but they will show more respect towards Penn State's receivers and towards Sean Clifford than they have previously. And so as that happens, as that shift and evolution starts to take place, you're going to see holes open up for, for Penn State's offense and for, for the running game. There's a couple interesting points in there, and and one of them is that, and this is what I've been saying since the spring of football, and I hate to keep repeating myself, but without an explosive runner, because you mentioned Saquon Barkley in the fits and starts, and I went in one game and I looked at all the yards that were lost or all the stops, essentially, as is as it is charted of like, how many times was he caught for one or two yards or put them behind the line of scrimmage? Part of that was the offensive line back then. Uh, at that time. And then he would rip off these big runs. So Penn State was getting explosive plays out of the running game. Penn State is not getting explosive plays out of the running game right now. This kind of leads into an interesting conversation uh, that, that I've been thinking about with Ryan. He says, don't know a lot about Indiana defensively, but he thinks that the Penn State offense might have an advantage on the offensive line. How are, how is it that it stacks up? So this is, this is what I'll say is... Penn State so far has played four teams that run a three-down front from a schematic perspective. Both of the uh, non-Power 5 teams or that, that they played also run a specific system. It's called a tight front, where literally you cram everyone inside of the tackles. So you have a nose tackle and both of your defensive ends, your traditional, you know, think Pittsburgh Steelers defensive ends, they're playing inside of the tackles. So you can't run between the tackles. That is their goal. Then they're supposed to bounce everything wide and stop. It's it's designed to stop rushing attacks from a spread offense. So Indiana runs a traditional four-down front. 
Now, that has its own advantages and disadvantages, and the personnel has their own advantages and disadvantages, but literally, from a formational standpoint, they're going to be facing something a little more familiar, and I think a little less, to Nate's point, geared to shut down your inside rushing attack. Because that's been a problem, I think, for Kevon Lee specifically, is that he is better when it's clear and he can go forward. And the teams that they've played so far have taken that part away. I'll be interested to see once they get into the Big Ten if going up against more traditional fronts that they're used to seeing will change that. So it's a roundabout way of answering your question, Ryan, but I do think that's something to look at going forward is just just the fact that there's not going to be a nose guard on Mike Miranda at all times and they're at a disadvantage from a schematic standpoint as to how they're going to run the ball. Um, they do need to be better and more efficient, though. Like, that has to be better. They have to be more efficient when they do have those open lanes. Go ahead. I, well, I just have a question for you. Did did Villanova change its defensive approach after Sean Clifford connected for a 52-yard touchdown on the very first play of the game? Uh, yes and no. So they they still blitzed, and whenever they blitzed, Penn State got a touchdown. But they did start to play coverage <laughs> and uh, and play three or four. One thing that they did not do, and this is, again, to your point, Nate, is that at no point did they concede the box count to Penn State. They allowed Penn State to have the bubble screens all day. And that's what James Franklin talked about after the game. Normally, in those situations, you'll play with five guys, if you can handle it, in the box, and you'll shift either a safety down or a linebacker over into space to kind of creep towards that three formation, uh, that three receiver formation. Villanova did not care. They're like, have those nine yards. We don't care. We're going to stop you from running, and we're going to keep a safety deep as much as possible. But because they're Villanova, it it didn't matter. Like, it didn't work. The one thing I'll say is that it did show that the Penn State rushing attack, if you consider the bubble screen, could get nine yards or five yards whenever it wanted, and that's been consistent. So I do think if you want to talk about the running game, it is fair to bring up the bubble game and how that has been more productive with Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith. So that is... that's. To me, you have to be concerned about the fact that they're not super efficient right now. So to, to your point, Nate, they are not efficient and they don't have a Saquon Barkley to make up for the lack of inefficiency. That might be the biggest problem because I don't care that they're not a power-running football team. They are going to win by throwing the football. That's what they're going to do, and Sean Clifford is doing that. That should be exciting for Penn State football fans. You're not going to have a perfect team. No team is perfect. You're not going to just win in every facet whenever you want. That's fantasy football. The reality is they're set up to win football games. Uh, Nate, I, or Dave, I'm sorry, you've, you've been quiet for a bit. Do you have any last thoughts on the running game? I, we've kind of been uh, Kyrie Irving the conversation here and ball dominating. Do you have any last thoughts before we move on? Well, I'm glad I'm not grouped in with the flat earthers. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I look, I, I guess, you know, in, in some of the, the situations you guys are referencing, right? Um, you know, 2019, right? Penn State has a first year starting quarterback in 2019 um, in, in Sean Clifford. And despite, you know, defenses, you know, I assume keying on, stopping the running game given that sean clifford is a first year starting quarterback you know you've got journey brown who's averaging seven yards a carry devin ford is averaging 5.7 yards a carry noah kane's got 5.3 and i i think um the the best average right now is kevon lee who's at like four and a half so look I, you're right I, it's not efficient enough um 
regardless of, of what's happening uh, around it, but certainly it can improve. Um, I'm not saying it's, it's doom and gloom, but I, I do think that as we start to maybe think about loftier goals for Penn State football entering this season than the ones that we maybe thought about previously, then you need to see those numbers go up. You just sure. do. You're not going to be able to get to that level with with what they're doing. You can't be one-dimensional. Maybe this isn't a good question for you. Maybe I should throw this out to the chat in general, everyone listening. By the way, thank you for uh, tuning into the BWI live show. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. If you want to ask a question, maybe you can answer my question with a super chat. Donate to the channel. We greatly appreciate everyone who's done that so far. But why is the running game so important to Penn State football fans. It is the... Sean Clifford threw for 400 yards on Saturday. <laughs> 400 yards. He had a touchdown whenever he wanted it. And the only thing that has come away from that for Penn State football fans in comments, direct questions to me, and in chats, and uh, you know, on our message board is, what's wrong with the run game? Dave, why are Penn State fans fixated on something that has never really been, other than in 2019, a consistently dominant part of the DNA of a James Franklin program? I feel like this is my biggest problem. Uh, first off, I'm I'm very much bought into the analytics and to the advanced metrics and to kind of the new age of football. So I may be the bad person to like answer this question. Why is the running game such a fixation? for every single Penn State football fan that wants to ask me that question. I think it's just what they're used to, right? I, I you know, it's 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 the DNA for a, it, to an extent. It's the same reason that, you know, probably the same people were were asking James Franklin about fullbacks and going under center for a long time. It's, it's They do both of those now. Both of they those. They do. You're right. Mm -hmm. I, um but that's kind of my guess. Um and, and again, I I think specifically relating to this weekend, I think there were probably some people who weren't happy with the scoreline and maybe the run game is, a, is an explanation <laughs> for that. You know, I mean, it's like F FCS opponent. We need to be winning this game by 70. Um, and they didn't because Villanova is not a bad team, even if they are an FCS team. Um, you know, they're a veteran, veteran team. Uh, yeah. And I, I went to, I went to talk to them um, after the game. I went to their press conference um, and, they weren't surprised. They were like, yeah, you know, we played well. We, we didn't come in here trying not to lose by 50. You know, we, we knew that we were capable of doing this. So I guess I, I, I think maybe the expectations were a little bit unreasonable for that game. Um, yeah. It, it, but again, I think maybe the obsession, for lack of a better word, with the run game uh, relates back to just what they're what Penn State is used to. Penn State has always been a school that can run the football, um, and and it's it's not what their offense is based around right now. And maybe so, Nate can speak to that a little better. He's been around longer than I have, but uh, that's my guess. I don't know. Nate, I have some I have some breaking information I want to get to, but I do want to get your thoughts on that first. Do you have any quick thoughts about my my question to Dave? Do you have any quick thoughts about what the deal is there? Yeah, well, first of all, I know what your breaking news is. James S. is not James Franklin. No, he's not. I I, there it is, right there. Oh, no. Big reveal. Um, I thought, I was going to say, James, if you're giving us five bucks to the channel and you're James Franklin, I was going to be like, really? But no, look, for you, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, No, so so I, I have a perspective on this that, uh, I don't know if it's shared or not, but 
fans and the media will it, there there is a a uh, a, a Catholic guilt element to, <laughs> to sports in general, right? Like every single post game is about paying penance of what went wrong. Like that is, that is the foundation of what we do is we're asking, well, how can you improve? How can you get better? Why isn't the running game good enough? Why aren't why didn't you hit any explosive plays against ball state right like uh it's what didn't happen that should have been able to happen uh and what are you going to do about it to make sure that it is better next time okay and so like there's that extreme and none of which is to say that there aren't things that need to improve. Yes, absolutely. You don't want to be one dimensional. You, you don't want to find yourself uh, in a bind where you have to do something and are unable to perform it. James Franklin uh, has acknowledged that repeatedly. That was one of the big themes in 2017 was they didn't have a four minute offense to close yeah. games out on their term, right? Like we, we have like all of these things exist. Okay. However, and I brought it up yesterday in my notebook. I thought it was striking what Villanova's head coach said after the game. He said, he said, quote, we got big played to death. Okay. Yeah. In the context of, but otherwise it wasn't all that bad. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. Other than the mortal well, wounds, it was all right. <laughs> but, and, and that's the thing is, yeah. Hey, Getting big played to death means you lost and getting big played to death means that the other team, right? Like it's not Penn state's fault that they averaged 50 yards per reception on their seven chunk play passes. Like, yeah. Right. Like how, how do you establish a, a, a ground game under that context? Right. Like outside of, of, and Dave, you maybe you have it handy, but outside of, Sean Clifford's sacks and runs. How many carries did Penn State's running backs actually get in that game? I'm going to guess that it was under 20. Uh, uh, I know for a fact John Lovett had 11. So, like, I, the lead back had 11. I think Kevon Lee had six. Yeah, so Lo- Lovett had 11. Lee had seven. Ford had two. Holmes, a- uh, Noah Kane, and Tank Smith each had one. That's a big so. day rushing on the ground for Penn State. I'm I'm not good at math, okay? But it's close to 20. I'm yeah. I was pretty close. Yeah. Uh no, but like if if that's what you're doing to have success, like <laughs> uh the goal is to win the game. And yes, while you would like to see Penn State be able to do whatever it wants against anybody whenever it wants to do it. That is not a realistic expectation. That's just yeah. not how it works. That's, I think, um, the, the point here is it's okay to be one-dimensional against these other teams, but not against the Big Ten. That's the sentiment in the chat. And it's like, well, Penn State has been really good against the Big Ten outside of a couple of games. And even against Ohio State, they've played them close almost every single time. And I understand close doesn't mean win. But they, they've they been able to play the Big Ten schedule and win, for the most part, 
without a dominant ground game. And now, James S., you're really making me think you're lying to me about not being James Franklin. If you're going to be one-dimensional, rather throw than run, provides more optionality. I, I'm back on thinking this is James Franklin. I'm back on thinking James is lying to us. Because that is what James Thanks would say. Thanks for joining us, James Franklin. <laughs> Appreciate the love. Uh, if you have any more questions uh, in the Super Chat, we'd love to have them. We're talking. I think we're going we're gonna to put down the gr- ground game for a little bit. Uh, and by the way, Stephen Lisko, thank you. Uh, if you want to ask a question, feel free. Uh, we appreciate the donation to the channel. Uh, if you're just here because you're having a good time, we love that as well. Oh, look at that. He already threw one in here. So we'll get to that right now with our passing game is looking. Is there many Big Ten defenses that can truly shut down the passing attack? This is a great question. Uh, Dave, I'm going to go to you first. What are your thoughts on the viability of this passing attack going forward? Not just Not just shut down, but... What's the viability of what we saw on Saturday? Yeah, well, well, look, I, I want to disclose at the beginning that I have not watched film on every Big Ten secondary. I'm sorry, but how um, dare you? <laughs> I know, uh, but I, I think Penn State has enough weapons that it's going to be difficult difficult to account for them all. I just do. I think something that maybe we're not talking about enough is I think Keandre Lambert Smith is really good. Um, if you can I live with the drops. Be- yeah exactly um i think he's dynamic i think he's fast i think he's going to be an asset um then you look at obviously Jahan dodson's a monster parker washington is good um the tight ends we saw against auburn that they can um they can be helpful um you need to see it a little bit more consistently but again there's there's guys all over the field that you need to account for and guys who can make you pay if you are focusing too much on Jahan Donson or on uh, Parker Washington or whoever it is. So I, I do think that Penn State is going to get theirs in the passing game. Um, it's just going to be don't turn the ball over. And Penn State hasn't really done that. You know, Clifford's thrown um, two picks so far this season, but I think they're both picks that you can live with. Um, uh, they're not exactly, you know, awful decisions or I think – one came off a drop. Was it a Lambert Smith drop yes. on Saturday? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the thing for me. Just don't turn the ball over. Nate, coming to you, uh, same question. Can Penn State's uh, offense be as viable as they've been so far through the passing game? Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I, I don't – look, like, it's curious to me how the conversation has changed in four weeks because four weeks ago – we were talking about a team that was largely predicted to win eight games or nine games. Yeah. And now it's okay. Well, they beat Wisconsin at Wisconsin. They beat Auburn at home. So does that mean that Penn state can play and beat anybody on the rest of the schedule? I think that the answer to that question is yes, they can. Uh, Would you bet on it today? Probably not. Um, you know, right. Like even with Ohio state's problems, like I I still think that you, you find yourself in this interesting situation where nobody is, nobody is so dominant at the beginning of the season that prevented Penn state from shooting from the 22nd ranked team in the country to number four in four weeks. Yep. Like, right. Like is people are asking this question today. It's like, oh, is Penn State the number four team in the country? Well, no one else has been so good as to prevent that from happening. And so, yeah, it's a little bit of a by default, but it's also, yeah, Penn State has passed its early tests. It, it 
right? Like it, Penn State yeah. has done what it needs to do to not have a loss. And so, um, no, I mean, I, I, it, it is so many of the conversations of past years are going to come back into play this year, right? The right. 16, the 17 and the 19 years, uh, all of which were, well, Hey, if the big play, the big passing play isn't there, what happens? Uh, and I don't think anyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone knows right now is what's going to happen to Penn state. If 60 yard, 50 yard touchdowns aren't there through the passing game. Um, but I think that there are teams on the schedule who will make them find out. Yeah. Um, does, but, but even, but even so like, this is, this is the, the potency of this Penn state team and of what James Franklin has tried to do in previous years, which is that against a lot of the offenses that Penn State is going to face in the Big Ten, you only have to hit it three times. You only have to hit it two times. Yeah. For right? Like yep. if you get to twenty if you get to twenty one out at Iowa, that might win you the game. Especially and the game, so especially the game pressure it puts on the other team. That, as you you point out, the only teams that can score with Penn State traditionally are Ohio State and, for a little bit, Indiana, where they had a potent passing attack, which is not quite the case this year. Uh, yep. This is this is an interesting question. It's going to follow up to Stephen's question of um, Tom Allen usually has a strong secondary. Taiwan Mullen. He is a guy that has some draft buzz. He has not played well so far this year. Marcelino Ball is somebody that I've liked for a while now as that sort of slot defender, linebacker, safety hybrid. They've given up exactly one passing touchdown this year. Is that is this a real test, in your opinion, or is uh, is are they that much of a fraud to you, Nate? Uh, yeah, I'm not. I mean, I, I I'm not going to use the word fraud. Like, I don't, I don't know yet. I sure, don't, I don't. Fair. It's, uh, it's so early in the week that to, to how I handle exactly on what this Indiana team is. I, I always maintain the, the the same stance, which is uh, teams that or reporters that cover that team will always know more than I do from the outside looking in. Um, and so I, I I won't say that as much as I would just say that Penn State's potential offensively is there. Uh, it, it just, you, you have seen that repeatedly uh, in enough times this season, whether it was being blanked in the first half at Wisconsin and then demonstrating that in the second half and then really every half of football since then, um, you know, there, there are those opportunities to be had. So I want to thank Night Raven, who I think is donated in euros, which is super cool. I've never seen that happen before on the show. That's we're gonna have we're gonna have to go to the uh, to the the bank conversion. <laughs> we, this is a, this is officially an international show, so that's awesome. Uh, he says just to enjoy the chat, use the awesome tight ends more. Uh, that's a, I think that's Dave. That's one of the things you talked about. Is it's not just the receivers; the skill positions in general can help out in the passing game. Uh, so are you expecting that? And I guess that's the same question I'll, I'll, I'll give to you is, do you think that this Indiana team is a good test to see if this team is for real? And by the way, I think this team's already been tested. That's the thing is they've gone through the season so far, but people are still wondering, is this team for real? Do you think they need another test in Indiana? And do you think it is a test? 
not necessarily to be totally honest <laughs> uh, but you know look I, I i reserve the right to change my mind after reading and maybe watching some of their games throughout the week because as nate kind of said i mean at this point i know very little about indiana because I, I think one thing that people don't realize is it's hard for us to watch college football because we're you know we're, we're at the penn state game all day yeah. you know like we're not we can't turn on the indiana game before and after so um I, I, I guess I need to do a little bit more thinking about that one. But yeah, I, I think it's if if the tight if the secondary for Indiana is as advertised and is as good as, you know, has been indicated, then maybe this is a tight end game, right? Maybe you you take some of the pressure off of your wide receivers to create those big plays by, you know, using your tight ends, by matching up with a linebacker or a safety who might not be as special. And look. There are not many guys who can match up athletically with Theo Johnson and Bretton Strange. There just aren't. Um, that's that's not something you'll find on on very many defenses outside of the very best ones in the country. So, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's the path to victory for Penn State this week. All right, guys, we're wrapping up the show here. Thanks to everybody who participated. We've had a great time here on the BWI Live Show. I do want to give you guys any final thoughts on uh, the game last week or any final thoughts on the week coming up. Uh, Nate, we'll start with you. Sure. No, I, th- I think that that defensively, Penn State's performance was maybe a little undervalued and under-talked about. Um you know that that was an experienced Villanova offense uh, that that had a what sixty or fifty year quarterback. Um, you know, just guys who have had success in the past, and and what's what's becoming noticeable to me, and uh, you know, is probably noticeable everywhere else is if this team is able to create turnovers at the rate that it has so far defensively. Uh, that that is a powerful tool to have, and it is a uh, it, it stands in stark contrast to last year, where they just couldn't. Um, they just they had so many opportunities, and and that's even acknowledging the opportunities that they've had this year that they haven't capitalized on, uh, of which they had at least another one yesterday or uh, Saturday, excuse me. So yeah, no, I mean I I think that the way that this defense is playing right now, it it opens the doors for Penn state to have success because any game that it's in, right? Like again, you might have a little bit of a feast or famine from this Penn state offense, depending on who it's playing. Um, but you're still going to be in it. You like, right? Like the analytics say, okay, well, if, if 21 is all you need to get to, um, you know, because your defense is that good and is, and is that stout, that's that is that is a a massive advantage to have, uh, and I and I think that the defense showed that again on Saturday. Uh, Dave, we're coming to you. Wrap us up. Take us home. Yeah, in in a similar vein, uh, something that I've been thinking about lately is there's just not a lot of mistakes in this Penn State team, right? I mean, you know, yeah. Sean Clifford is not making mistakes. The the defense is not. I mean, outside of that, Kalen King busted coverage. I, I don't. I don't think the defense is making very mistakes either. It's a it's a disciplined football team. It's a football team that is going to make you beat it, and that is not what uh, Penn State was last year. Penn State beat itself I, in almost all of the football games that it lost last year, outside of maybe Ohio State. <laughs> so, <laughs> seriously, I mean, it's it was almost impressive. 
Um, <laughs> maybe they should get wins for those games on that basis. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of just what I'm thinking about is I, I look at Penn State's schedule and I think, okay, if Penn State continues to operate this way, who is going to beat Penn State? Who is going to take the game by the throat and beat Penn State? Because I'm not sure that Penn State is going to beat itself. And it's like, I don't really think Iowa is. I, I, I have some 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 thoughts about Iowa that we don't need to get into. But um, I think I think Ohio State can. Um, but but outside of that, you know, maybe Michigan. Michigan seems better than what they thought we were. They excuse me, we thought they were. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that's what I'm thinking. Is this is a team that's going to make you beat it? And who's going to do it? I I don't know. Well, thank you both for coming on the show. And thank you to Dave, James, Ryan, Stephen, and of course, Night Raven for all the donations, the Super Chat today. We will be back every Monday here on the BWI Live Edition, giving you a recap of the game that week previous. And of course, when it's relevant, we'll give you some information heading forward on the game coming up. Don't forget, subscribe to the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. And if you're listening to this on the podcast version, first off, subscribe, watch it live here. But you can always uh, subscribe and give a like or a comment on our, uh, our other channels with all of our other podcasts. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We will be back again soon.